My name is Joy Vonk, and this lovely lady beside me is Kathleen McKinney, and we are here to light the candle of love this morning. And so let's, let's reflect for a second. What does love mean to you? Do you have love? Is it something that you're waiting on and longing for? Is it something that you have had but now seems maybe elusive? Is it someone that you have had and lost? Without a doubt, we're all intrinsically wired with a need for love. Some authors write that there's a God-shaped vacuum in the heart of every man that cannot be filled by any created thing. So what is love and what is it that we long for? I'm going to read um, excerpts from the book, Behold the Lamb of God, and it's an Advent narrative that's written by Russ Ramsey. In the days of Moses, the Israelites began their worship gatherings with this one word, hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one. Love him. Love him with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. They were to worship the Lord. This command was a call to remember this story, their story how the maker of heaven and earth called their people to himself and bound himself to them as their God. In those days, Israel was 12 tribes with no crown. They needed a perfect king. They were called to love the Lord their God with all their heart, soul, and strength, and to live as his children, loved with an everlasting love. But without a king to lead them, they would only do what seemed right in their own eyes. They needed a king to govern their hearts. So we fast forward, they've had several earthly kings, and they're pretty wayward now. Their rebellion against the Lord had come to define them. As a nation and as individuals, they had failed, and God was judging them for it. There would be no meeting God in the middle. Hope would flow only in one direction, from the king of heaven and earth to empty-handed heirs of his promise. They needed to be rescued, saved from their sin and sorrow. Where there was despair, there would be hope. Where there was sadness, there would be joy. A page in history was about to turn, and though they struggled to see it, God loved them, and salvation was coming. He would be their wonderful counselor, their mighty God, their everlasting father, their prince of peace. We fast forward again, and Mary is pregnant, and Joseph is weighing the implications of a virgin birth. God was bringing his ancient plan to fruition, a plan forged in the void of the vast expanse that existed before the world was made. Bethlehem would go back to being the ordinary town it had been as long as anyone could remember, but the world, the world would never be the same. Their deliverer would come. He was the hero of their story, the perfect spotless lamb sent to adorn the doorpost of their heart with his own blood. By his wounds, they would be healed. And yet, Jesus would never be the victim of men. No one would take his life from him. As with his baptism, in his life, and in his death, Jesus would stand in the place of the heartbroken and the lost. And so, what is love? 1 John 4.10 This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his Son to satisfy God's anger against our sins. Let me close before we light the candle with a Welsh hymn by William Rees. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood, when the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. Who his love will not remember, who can cease to sing his praise, he can never be forgotten throughout heaven's eternal days. Good morning. A few of you are awake this morning. That's good. Good morning. There you go. Okay. There's no slackers in here, guys. We have to participate. All right. You'll see why in just a moment. Okay. Um, I'm Keisha Culberth. I'm our children's ministry director uh, here at Grace. And first of all, we want to welcome any first-time visitors that we have today. If you um, came today and, and had to be rerouted around the building, the, the scenic route to get your children into the back hallway, um, or if you took a, a look through the, the, the 
little windows there in the hallway. I told someone as we were coming in, it sort of reminds me of that real scary scene from E.T. where, you know, they have, he's all sick and everything, and they have these plastic hallways, like, coming out of the house, you know, tunnels and stuff. It, it looks a little scary back there, but I promise you it's not, it's not really bad. So thank you for being patient as we navigate our, our water damage. And um, really, we are very thankful to the Lord this morning because that damage could have been much worse, uh, could have happened on a Friday and, and gone for days before it was found. And so um, really and truly, the amount of damage and, and things that are being worked on is minimal compared to what it could have been. So we're praising the Lord for that this morning and that we have a sizable building and a warm place for all, all of our children to be. And so um, I just want to welcome you into our time of prayer this morning. We do this each week, and if you're new to Grace, um, your bulletin is probably the best place for you to see the, the different ways that you can connect with us in prayer. Um, first of all, there's this connection card flap in your bulletin, and this is a place where you can let us know whether you're a current member or rather a tender of Grace or a new member, you can let us know if you would like for us to connect with you. But on the back, you'll see a way that you can connect with us uh, through prayer. Um, each week at our staff meeting, we pray for these requests that are lifted up. Um, it's helpful to us. Uh, some of you, I know your handwriting, but it's very few of you, okay? So it's helpful to us if you could put your name on this side or even on the other side so that we know who we're connecting with, just to kind of put a face with a name, especially if it's an extended family member. But please take that time to fill this out this morning if you would like to, and we would love to pray for you this week. You can put this in the offering plate as it comes around uh, next in the service. Um, On the inside of your bulletin, you'll see our prayer focus, which is children's ministry. And then right below it, you'll see prayer requests from the body. And so these are things that we're going to be praying about. And we encourage you to pray about these requests of the body um, and also be looking at the city during the week to find out what prayer requests are being posted and just lift this up all throughout the week. Keep it with you in your car, at your breakfast table, things like that. So this morning, as we go into children's ministry, uh, praying for children's ministry, I just want to thank all of you. There were many people involved last week um, helping with the children in our Christmas program. Uh, It was wonderful and beautiful. Um, I know all of you out here participated because you allowed yourselves to be uh, little children, in a sense. You allowed yourselves to see the gospel presented through the eyes of a child, which I think is quite fun, okay? Um, It is wonderful to be able to do that. And so... This morning, as we think about our children's ministry, I just want you to to ponder something with me, and I want to share a little bit with you from this special book that we shared from last week. This is a Jesus Storybook Bible. Um, It's for big kids and little kids alike, okay? Um, Beautiful representation of the gospel message as Jesus' name is whispered throughout the Old and New Testament. So if you don't have this Bible in your home or you have family members with children, Um, or you just want to see the Bible in a fresh new way, I recommend you um, picking up one of these. So we're going to take ourselves to Matthew 18 in the Bible where, if you remember, Jesus' disciples are standing around and they're doing what what adults love to do. They're sizing themselves up and they're trying to figure out who's the greatest and who's going to be on the right-hand side and everything, right? Well, Jesus has no time for this, okay? He's like, wow, guys, I've been with you all this time and you are completely missing the mark on this, okay? You're arguing and all of this. So he starts talking to them about children, right? And he says, you can't send the children away. Some children came up to Jesus and they said, oh, no, 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 the master's busy. We can't have those children right here. Jesus welcomes them in, if you remember, and he tells them that not to ever send the children away. And this is a paraphrase or maybe what, you know, a little fuller of what Jesus might have been presenting to them. Don't send the children away. Bring the little ones to me. Now, if you had been there, what do you think? Would you have had to line up quietly to see Jesus? Do you think Jesus would have asked you how good you've been before he give you a hug? Would you have had to be on your best behavior, get dressed up, not speak until you're spoken to? Or would you have done just what these children did? Run straight up to Jesus and let him pick you up in his arms and swing you and kiss you and hug you and then sit you on his lap and listen to your stories. You see, children love Jesus, and they knew they didn't need to do anything special for Jesus to love them. All they needed to do was run into his arms. And so that's just what they did. Well, after all the laughing and games, Jesus turned to his helpers and said, 
no matter how big you grow, never grow up so much that you lose your child's heart, full of trust in God. Be like these children. They are the most important in my kingdom. And I love this. I love the way this is told because it really puts that very straightforward to us. Um, And that's what our ministry to children is about here at Grace. What we do each and every week back there is we let these children through stories, through Bible story videos, sometimes games. We teach them that they can trust Jesus, okay, that God is their creator and that he loves them and that all they have to do is run up into his lap and let him love them. And they, they inherently understand that. That's what the most beautiful part is. When you're in the presence of children, you, you see very clearly that they're hardwired to trust Jesus and to seek him and to understand him. And so I want to invite all of you this morning as you're thinking about this. In 2016, um, first of all, let me say in 2015, as you see in your bulletin there, we had, we, I challenged you about this time last year. We had a big issue with lots of children back there, and we had to add on 20 different teacher assistants. And that seemed like a big deal. But before the new year started, we had all of those assistants in place, and God blessed us with 20 new people in children's ministry. And it's been an awesome year of having two teachers and assistants in each classroom. Um, We've had a few of those, though, uh, that have needed to step down. So as we go into 2016... I would like to ask again, not for 20 people, which is a blessing, but we have four different teacher assistants that we need, okay? One with our four-year-old class one week, and we need three in our kindergarten and first grade classes. Um, Most of the positions are on the first Sunday, so you would serve once a month on the first Sunday all year, and then we have one position that's on the fourth Sunday. So, Uh, If you are a member of Grace Community Church, you have gone through the Grace Connection class and you are a member, um, we invite you to serve in this ministry. It's one of the ways that you can serve. And for the others of you, I would like for you just to be praying about this for us. It would be wonderful if just like last year, by next Sunday or by the 30th of December, I have all of these positions covered and we can go into the year with what we need. So we will have a training not just going to throw you in there, right? Like I'm throwing you into the, the den of lions, like do your best, you know, kind of a thing. Um, we'll have a short little training uh, before church on January 3rd in the new year and just get you oriented to what kinds of things you can do as an assistant. An assistant is not a teacher. They do things like, you know, help the kids with crafts or just moving from one place to another, helping them pay attention, because we all know we have trouble with that as well. So those are the kinds of things that we could use your help with. So please be in prayer about this, and um, I would love to have you join our ministry team. I'll be available after church. One thing you could do is if you're thinking about it even, or you have questions about it, just use this connection card. You can write me a little note and say that you're interested in maybe an assistant position or a preschool teacher position, and I'll be glad to um, get with you and get you some information. So this morning, we're just going to go to the Lord in prayer, and I'm going to lead us. Um, So if you will pray with me this morning um, for our children, let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, that you have chosen to represent yourself to us as our Heavenly Father. That, Lord, that is no mistake. Father, you want us to approach you through prayer, because of what your son Jesus did on the cross. We thank you that you chose to have a personal relationship with sinners who are far from you in our hearts, Lord. And you chose to love us and to sacrifice your only son for our sin, God, bringing us into right relationship with you. Lord, you raised Christ from the dead to give us hope of new life in him, of eternity with you in heaven. And we praise you for always wanting us with you in relationship with you. And we thank you for Jesus. We thank you, Lord, for this body of Grace Community Church and the gospel that goes forth from here. We thank you that it goes out to our adults and to our children each and every week. And we pray for those that you will bring into into this ministry to our children. We thank you for the gifts that you've given each of these adults. And we pray that some of them would be Uh, willing to use those uh, in ministry to children who are so important to you, Lord. 
We thank you for the members of our body, and we pray this week especially for those in our body who lost loved ones this year, to which this is an extremely difficult season. We pray that you would comfort them and be their great companion. And, Lord, we pray for those who are sick. We thank you, Lord, for helping Lisa Pelton this last week with her breathing. And, Lord, help us all to continue to pray for Lisa each and every day in her struggles. Lord, we lift up all of those in our body who are going through hardship. We pray for those traveling to be with families this week, and we pray that they would be willing to be Christ to them. Lord, we thank you that you are our Redeemer, and we thank you that you are the giver of every good gift. We thank you for the ways you bless us financially in our lives to make uh, ends meet and meet our needs. And we thank you that one of those is the blessing of this church in our lives. So we pray as we give this morning, Lord, we would remember that every good and perfect gift we have comes only from your hand. That we would give generously and joyfully, Lord, because of the love you have poured out on us in Christ. We thank you for this worship time and we lift up Brad as he brings the message today to us from your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Well, good morning and one more time, welcome to Grace Community Church. Uh, If you're here for the first time, my name is Brad Talley. I'm the teaching elder here at Grace. I'm teaching with less than a full voice. Uh, When my voice gives out, the sermon's over, so please be... No, wait, don't be praying about that. Maybe that's not the best thing for you, for me to ask you to do. Uh, One announcement that I have in addition to saying thank you to this group that works hard every week to do their best to glorify and magnify the Lord. Um, we uh, will be having our annual church meeting on January the 6th. That is a Wednesday night. Um, the primary focus of our attention will be the annual church budget. We are going to finish the year Uh, in the black this year for the first time in a long time at the levels that we are. And we have been able to do a lot of work this year that all goes toward gospel ministry. So we're really excited about what the Lord is doing. And as always, we're stepping up in, in faith. I've had very little to do with this budget, only to hear people say, Wow, we're going to trust the Lord for this next year. And we are going to do exactly that. And it's been our experience over and over. As we step out and we trust the Lord, He uh, provides so beautifully. It's His work, not ours. But uh, at uh, at the end of the service, on this um, little uh, island in the back, what do we call that, the uh, island in the back, the the, the information kiosk right here, um, we will have our budgets, and we're going to try to remind you of that just before the end of the service. If you would like a copy of the budget, take it home, pray about it. On January the 6th, which is a Wednesday night at 6.30, we'll gather here at, at Grace, and we will determine whether or not this is indeed God's will for our life as a, um, as a church, as an entire church party. The, the, the budget that you have is the budget that the elders are recommending, but one that A lot of hands have been in. A lot of people have participated in putting this together. Well, I have a question for you, and this is especially for the children, but middle schoolers, high schoolers, adults, everyone will likely have someone come to mind when I ask you this question. What voice do you love to hear more than any other? And look, this time of the year, I'm not looking for ho, ho, ho. I'm not looking for anything like that. But what voice is it that just all of a sudden, if you're, someone is behind you and you hear that voice, it just makes you smile. Now, I know that you'll probably say parents or brother or sister, depending on what day it is. You know, it could be a, a bad day with your brother or sister. But, but beyond that. Who is it? Is it a cousin or a grandparent or a good friend? You're upstairs playing and you hear somebody's voice and you say, Julie, and you go running downstairs and there's your friend or whoever it is. Someone whose voice you hear. Sometimes the voice that you love is not the voice you want to hear at a particular moment. When you're doing something you're not supposed to do. And your parent catches you and says, Colby Elmore, what are you doing? You know, you don't want to hear that voice at that particular moment. 
If they give your full name, you know you're in big trouble. Big trouble. My parents, I heard, Brad Talley. I can't tell you how many times when I was growing up. But even when the, my parents said it in rebuke, their, their words were always loving words. I remember when Pat Anderson, who, along with her husband, Bob Anderson, was co-founder of TVR. I remember a time when Pat said to me, I love you. Now, my parents, we, we didn't say I love you a lot in our family. There was a great deal of love. There, it, the words were spoken, but very, very seldom when I was growing up. But that's the case of a lot of people my age. I mean, you just you didn't say it back in those days. You know, now, you know, some kid says, hey, I got to go to the bathroom. I love you. I love you. Whatever, you know, we, we love each other all the time. Um, but, but back in that day, not so much. But my parents had told me, my fiance Linda had told me, maybe 10 to 12 of the 75 or so girlfriends that I had growing up had told me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding about the 10 or 12, not the 75. Uh, <clears throat> I, I did. Every week I had a new girlfriend. But it's really comforting, isn't it, Allison? But that's, that's, that was before I knew Jesus. Um, so, okay, I think we're done here. <laughs> For the first time in my life, Pat Anderson was someone who didn't have to tell me that she loved me. And she told me that she did. And that had a profound impact on my heart and mind and life. Sometimes our assumptions about People that are very special to, to us. Sometimes our assumptions about their love enable us to just soar in ways that we wouldn't have been able to without that love and support that we have of family and friends. Just people knowing, you just knowing that people love you and believe in you is so wonderful. And sometimes our assumptions of the love of others can cause us to take for granted the very ones who mean more to us than the world. But most of us understand how foolish it is to take for granted deep and genuine love of someone else. Um, today, uh, we, it's appropriate that we have lit the candle of love and we think about God's love to us in his son Jesus Christ. Our text this morning. John 1. Is about the logos of God. You know what logos means right? It's Greek for word. Logos means word. Or God's. The, God's loving word. To all who believe. That's who Jesus is. Two of the most profound texts. In all of scripture. Are the prologues. Or the beginnings First of the book of Hebrews, and then secondly, of the, of the gospel of John. We spent some serious time in Hebrews 1, 1 through 4, several weeks ago. And we're not going to spend serious time in John 1. We're just going to get a glimpse of how wonderful and profound this text is. But our time in Hebrews, that we spend in Hebrews, is going to help us in John chapter 1. We're going to read John 1, 1 through 18, uh, because it's all part of one unit. But the focus of our time is going to be God's word to us. God's word to you, Jesus. And I'm going to ask you, as, as I read this deliberately, because I'm not going to take time, just to contemplate and meditate as we go. And let the word not only wash over you, but let the word in its life-giving form. That's what the word is. Let the word change you, even as we read. Would you please stand, as is our custom. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. 
All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light, the true light which gives light to the world. And the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. This is that gospel that we proclaim, no matter who's up here, week after week after week. To all who believe, they are given the right to be called the children of God. And these were born, verse 13, not of blood. By the way, can I just throw this out? In, in the Gospel of John, in the ancient world, we think of water associated with birth, physical birth. Ancient world thought of blood associated with physical birth. And that will change the way you interpret what Jesus said to Nicodemus about being born of water and spirit. So, these were not just born of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Salvation is not something we can accomplish. Nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh. So the word was Jesus. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory is of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out. This was he of whom I said. He who comes after me. Born six months or so later. Was before me. Because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Once again, let me point this out because I'm not going to later. It's not a contrast. The law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Not the law, but the law and Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God who is of the Father's, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Father, um, <laughs> these words make these words about your son make no sense apart from the Holy Spirit. We thank you for the triune God. We thank you for revealing yourself to us in your fullness. And though we don't understand three persons, one nature, we believe. And at this beautiful time of year, when so many of the voices that we hear are filled with frustration, we hear your voice loud and clear saying, I love you. Through Jesus. Open our hearts and fill them this morning. In the name of the word of the one who came from the Father. Jesus. Amen. Thank you and be seated. In olden days you heard this expression. His word is his bond. What did that mean? means you could count on what the person was saying is true. If she told you something, you could take it to the bank, even if it cost her greatly. If she said, I'm going to give you $100, then you knew that you were going to get $100. You could almost, it's almost as good as being in the bank because this person's word was good. It was always 
accurate. Um, speaking the truth is really important, isn't it? We're in a day where we don't speak truth. Once again, let me talk to the children. I, I want to say this. <laughs> Anybody, I want to say this to anyone who is living at home because it's almost too late for the rest of them. <laughs> Always tell the truth. Of course you're going to sneak around, but when your parent catches you and they say, did you do this? Don't lie about it. Always, always, always tell the truth. Because if you don't learn to tell the truth now, you won't tell the truth when you're a parent, uh, when you're an adult. And it's going to cost you a lot more at that point for not telling the truth then. So always tell the truth. Parents, always tell the truth to your children. When you say, we might go get ice cream, don't say that unless you plan to go get ice cream. Hey, I said we might. Yeah, that's, that's what they heard. We might go get ice cream. When they say, yeah, well, he's, dad said we might, but you know what that means. That's, a, that's not a good place to be. Don't play loosely with the truth. Be careful with your words before you, before you even say them. So that, because the way you interact with the truth is what your children are observing. And that's what they're going to be thinking about when they interact with the truth later on. You know who always tells the truth? You know who always tells the truth. God does. That's why you need to be careful, brothers and sisters in Christ, when you say, the Lord told me such and such was going to happen, or God told me I'm supposed to do this or that. Um, You may sense very strongly from inside of your heart that something is going to happen, but it might not. And once again, when you talk, about things as this is the truth. This is what's going to happen because God told me. What if it doesn't happen? Well, it is because God told me. Don't play loose with the truth. We've been given truth. We're going to talk about that this morning. Stick with that. And be careful about your feelings about truth. Because in a sense, even though God always tells the truth, when you represent him in ways that seem inconsistent with others, then in a sense you're putting his reputation at stake, although God's going to always do okay for himself. God's word is always 100% true and reliable. Further... God's word, as we learned a few weeks ago when Lee preached and did a wonderful job, just like Keisha was talking about, the wonderful job that the kids did sharing the gospel last Sunday. But when when Lee preached, we learned that God's word is active and alive. It's alive and active. The gospel is always at work. In fact, when God speaks, he acts. This might not be something you've thought about a whole lot. David Calvert is working toward a Ph.D. in theology uh, and worship. And and his dissertation will explore speech-act theory, which, of course, involves locutionary, illocutionary, and perlocutionary acts. I mean, well, I know you were probably discussing that on the way to church this morning. Um, And by the way, David is working with some of the brightest theological minds in the country, and he's highly respected Amongst those people, you should be proud of what the Lord has done for us and given us, David Calvert. So to bring speech act theory down to our part of the earth with regard to God is simply the notion that God acts through his speech or through his word. And there is ample support, biblical support for this notion in Scripture. Hebrews 11.3 says, By faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God. And by the way, John 1 told us what? Who created it? 
The Word did. Jesus did. God used Jesus. The Father's plan was accomplished through the agent of His Son. By the, universe, the universe was created by the Word of God so that <coughs> what is seen was made out of things that are unseen. God spoke and it came to pass. It happened just as He said it would. You can always trust God. And then Isaiah 55, 11. My word that goes out from my mouth shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose. And it shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. And then don't forget Psalm 33, 9. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded And it stood firm. You can see God's will, God's word always accomplishes the purpose for which it was intended. He intends something, he speaks it, and it happens. When you share the gospel, it will accomplish God's purpose. The Helvetic Confession says that the word of God preached is the word of God. When you share the gospel, you're the preacher. Preaching the word of God. It is the word of God. Now, of course, when you interpret it all kinds of crazy ways, it's not exactly the way God intended it. But when you share the gospel, you are God's agent and he is accomplishing what his will through your message, which is his message. And it's going to always accomplish his purpose. Some will believe in Jesus and some will not. So know this. When you proclaim the gospel, you are proclaiming both judgment and grace. And the gospel will either bring grace and peace or it will bring judgment. And we don't know sometimes. Oh my goodness, you've shared Christ with people. And and, and they just like... Go off. They're really upset. And you think, oh, that was horrible. And then a week later, they convert. They come to Christ. You don't have any idea what the gospel is doing in someone's life. Or, or Conversely, you've said, you've shared it and people have said, yeah, this is great. And then two weeks later, it's just same old, same old. We don't know. But, but one thing is for sure. When you proclaim the gospel, you are proclaiming. Judgment and grace. Make sure though, you're not the one who pronounces judgment, nor the one who pronounces grace and absolution, but you are the messenger. I recognize the the benefit of a human being saying, this is what God says and I believe this about you. It's true, but we are the messenger. The message that we are all sinners and our only hope of salvation is to repent of our sins, trust Jesus' death on the cross as payment for our sins is not popular in a day where safe spaces are being created in institutions of learning and in places of work. You are not allowed to say anything offensive. Just look at some of the videos. Students screaming to professors, I don't feel safe! You're supposed to make me feel safe! But the gospel is offensive to those who don't believe. And the gospel is God's word to us. Even more, the gospel is God's loving word to us. So let's go back to our text in John 1. And see if these words, these first words remind you of anything. In the beginning, you ever heard that before in scripture? Was the word... And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Now in verse 14, as we've already seen, John is going to tell us that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. In other words, he's talking about Jesus. So now let's just substitute the word Jesus for Word. In the beginning was Jesus, and Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. This is one of the clearest statements of Jesus' divinity anywhere 
in Scripture very clearly. Jesus was God. Now, Jehovah's Witnesses will try to tell you that the way the Greek is constructed, that it says Jesus was a God. Don't you believe it? The Greek is actually doubly emphatic, the way it's structured. And if you know a little bit about Greek, which I do, and so I'm talking like an authority, but I'm appealing to authorities who know a lot more about it. If you know a little bit about Greek, you could say, oh yeah, I see what you're talking about. But if you know a lot about Greek, you'd say, no way, man. This is as emphatic as you can get. Jesus was God. It's the point being made. So Jesus is separate from God and he is one and the same as God. And along with the Spirit, as I prayed in the prayer, three persons, one nature. And the way John 1.1 begins forms a clear connection with Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So think about all that John is telling us here. He's first of all saying that what follows has scriptural authority. I'm claiming scriptural authority for what's going to be said from here out. And he's also saying I'm talking about a creation. But it's a new creation. The new creation that we become in Christ. Genesis 1-1 occurred at a point in time. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth at the very beginning of what we think of as time. John 1-1 refers to one who is timeless. It is right that we focus on the emphasis of Jesus' divinity in this passage. But there's much more blessing than the knowledge of knowing that Jesus is God and that he came to save everyone who will believe in his name. In fact, it's probably not the primary emphasis that John is speaking here. The last three or four weeks, I have been blessed to be in some conversation with friends of mine and to do some reading about Speech Act and and John, the, the Gospel of John. And I have been so excited about sharing it with you this morning. But it's one of those things that it's rather complex at, the, at, at certain levels. And, and then it can be quite expansive. It would take a long time to lay it all out. So now, I fear that, you know, I'm giving you just a taste that makes you mad. Or it's like, well, what are you talking about? So I, I'm, I'm just putting that disclaimer up here. But just recognize that there's a great deal more study and thought that goes behind the things that I'm going to say. I'm not saying them just loosely. It's significant that John calls Jesus the Lagos, the Word of God. Even though many of John's readers were Gentiles, they knew about the Hebrew Scriptures. Especially the Scriptures that have been translated into Greek. And they knew about the Lagos. Or the word of God. They knew that when God spoke, he acted. Simply means that God didn't waste his words. He, his word accomplishes what he would will for it to accomplish. Now, now the Greeks, how did the Greeks think about Lagos? It was a universal principle that guided the universe. But in the Greek world, the philosophical world, the reality was divided into two parts. Spirit, which is good, flesh and earth, which is evil. Of course, believers took this on themselves, um, took this philosophy on them. Clearly, or a lot of theologians have been influenced by that philosophy. And there's some, some good benefits that come from uh, Platon, Platonistic kind of or uh, Platonist thinking within theology. But it can also lead to a lot of bad things. And the Greeks would have known that this is not what John's talking about. He's not talking about Lagos, the, the universal principle. Because the very idea that Jesus, that God would come to earth in the form of a human, goes against that idea that the Lagos is out there and it's to be achieved, the word, this principle. We're trying to escape this world. Why would God enter our world? So the Hebrew conception of Lagos was just simply the word of God. And the word of God accomplishing what he designed for it to do. 
Before Jesus came to earth, God had specifically made himself known through his word. First and foremost, through Torah, or the first five books of the Bible, or what we know as the law. The Torah, and I'm just going to say it, that Torah would be the proper pronunciation, but the Torah was not only a blessing to the Jewish nation, but to the entire world. It's interesting, isn't it, that, you know, it was through God's punishment of his people's sins when he sent them into exile, first into Babylon, then all over that part of the world, then throughout the Roman Empire and eventually to the world. That's how the word of God got scattered far and wide. People, because wherever the Jews went, they realized we're in the trouble we're in because we didn't pay attention to the word. Now they paid deep attention to the word. And whether they knew it or not, all the cultures around them were impacted and influenced in a positive way by the Jews' commitment to the word. Um. <clears throat> We think of the law as demanding and judgmental. And it can be that. But remember, the law, the perfect law of God expresses the perfect love of God for his people. He's saying, this is the way that I want you to live. And if you live this way, you will be successful. If you don't live according to this way, you'll not only fail, you'll be in big trouble with me. But the idea that... That, that the law shows us the best way to live that actually brings life to us is why the writer of Psalm 119 could speak of the beautiful blessings of Torah using quite a few different names for the law, such as commandments, statutes, God's promises, and so on. God's word is a blessing to us because it tells us how to live successfully. But there's another reason it's a blessing. It's because it shows us that we are utterly incapable of keeping the law. And still at the same time tells us that our God is a gracious and merciful God. And it points to a savior, to the prophet in Deuteronomy. To a savior in Isaiah. Born of a virgin. It's constantly pointing to one who will do something about our sins. The sacrificial system was prophetic in and of itself. It was showing people always knew the blood of bulls and goats can never take away sins. So something's got to be different. But you get settled into the routine and you say, as long as I do this, as long as I do that, I'm okay with God. But sins were never really removed until Jesus came. In John 1, Jesus is identified as the Word. God's Word who creates, redeems, and changes us. Now, in verse 14, we're told that the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. You remember in Moses' day that God... It commanded them, take the Ten Commandments, put them in the Ark of the Covenant. And where did the Ark of the Covenant go? In the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle. And, and, and the tabernacle represented the presence of God, but especially in the Holy of Holies, where His Word was. The Word that was the basis for revealing to us the character of God and our inability To measure up to God's character and to his expectations. But now, John says, God's word has come to dwell amongst us. Or literally, the Greek word literally means he tabernacled amongst us. The word became flesh. William Weinrich makes a compelling case in his commentary on John's gospel. That Jesus is a second Torah in in the sense that he is God's word to us, which is a blessing to all who believe. Now remember, the Bible is one story with two parts, not two stories. One story, two parts. Before preparing this message, I had no idea how much connection there is between Psalm 119 and the Gospel of John. Would not have known it. There's a part of me 
that's almost, when I read Psalm 119, it's like, you know, the writer is talking about, I love your law and it's the blessing to me. And to me, the law tells me how bad I am and how much trouble I am. And Jesus is kind of, but the mercy and the grace of God is all wrapped up in the word of God. And now Jesus is God's word come to life. Let's look at just a couple of these connections. Psalm 119, 142. Your righteousness is righteous forever and your law is true. And then in John 14, 6, Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Your word, Psalm 119, 105, is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. And Jesus spoke to them saying, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Now, think for just a moment. I have this on the screen where it's going to happen. I was going to say this, but then I thought, oh, I'm just doing a little bit. So if I say it, I need to develop it more fully. But just think about this. In Psalm 119, instead of the word for, for, for commandment or, or, or scripture or word, insert Jesus. Your righteousness is righteous forever in Jesus is true. Jesus is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Jesus is the living word of God always intended for our blessing. And believe me, there are many, many more examples, many more connections between Psalm 119 and the Gospel of John. So besides being an interesting connection we can make in our study, what what does this have to do with us? A great deal, actually. In saying that Jesus is the second Torah, Weinrich is not saying that Jesus is a better law. He's not a better law. Okay, now this is easier to attain than that was. No, Jesus made it harder. You've heard, you shall not murder. If you hate someone in your heart, you're guilty. Don't lust. If you lust in your heart or don't commit adultery, if you lust in your heart, you're guilty. It's tougher than the first law. Jesus is not a better law, but Jesus is a better or more complete word to us. You remember Hebrews 1. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to us, to our fathers, by the prophets who gave us Torah, who gave us Psalm 119. But in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son. God's final word to us, not His final act, but His final word to us. Whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. (laughs) As God's gracious and final word to us, Jesus is with those who believe in him wherever they go. I imagine that some of you in your life of following Jesus have, have thought or said something like, you know, I just don't feel like I'm hearing from the Lord. It feels like the the heavens are silent. But Jesus is God's word to you. And to read scripture is to hear his voice. Not only is Jesus always with you. Jesus is never Silent. Not only is he never absent, he is never silent. He always speaks to you in his word. God is not speaking to you. You know how to hear his voice? Open his word and speak. Doesn't mean anything to me. I know the spirit works in our... I I, I get all that, understand all of that. Jesus is speaking through his word. And the word was made flesh. And isn't it interesting? Jesus is the father's word to us. And yet John 1 tells us that that he is the one who has made the father known. 
This interaction happens over and over between the Father and the Spirit. And for those who believe, according to this fantastic, beautiful gospel of John, in chapter 17, somehow we are brought into that communion, into that fellowship between Father and Son. What a blessing. What a blessing. At this time of year, this year, this Christmas, it's a painful time for some of you. There is nothing, there is no greater gift you will receive this year. There is no better doctor's report. There is no better um, relationship that's been uh, fractured that is now healed as wonderful as those things are. There is no gift better than God's gift and word to you, Jesus Christ. We'll close this morning by reading the end of John's introduction to his gospel, John 1, 14 to 18. And as we read, just give thanks in your heart to the Lord for the blessing of his word to you. Isn't it something again, that Trinity thing? It's, it, it's been in my mind all week. How often I say that, that, that scripture and the Holy Spirit are almost inseparable because he's the author of the scripture and it means nothing to us without the Spirit's working. But Jesus and the word are almost inseparable. And whose word is it? God's word. And when we say God in the New Testament days, we're thinking of the Father. Father, Son, and Spirit. And this life-giving word. The word in which Jesus said, search the scriptures. You think that just because you know them, you have eternal life. But I want to tell you something. They testify of me. This is who we see from the first page to the last. is Jesus Christ. Thank you, Lord, for your gift to us. And the word became flesh. And dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him. And cried out. This was he of whom I said. He who comes after me. Ranks before me. Because he was before me. For from his fullness. We have all received. Grace upon grace. That's just more grace than we can deal with. Almost. And that's from the hand of the Father. For the law was given through Moses. And the law exacted from us punishment if we fail to live by it. And of course we, we couldn't. The law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God. The only God. Who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Let's pray. Lord, we are um, we're just stunned at the richness of life in Christ. Not because we deserved it. Not because we were smart enough to figure it out. Not any reason other than that you blessed us with Jesus. And you have blessed all who believe with eternal life. And we can't believe if you don't open our hearts and our eyes and our minds and cause us to confess our confess our sin before you, acknowledge our sin before you, repent. And to say, oh God, I'm sorry. And then confess our belief that Jesus died for us. Thank you, Father, for the word. Thank you, Jesus. That even though the word was brought to silence for a few days, In resurrection, you shout to the world, I died for you. Thank you, Spirit, for helping us understand that which is unknowable apart from you. 
We're grateful for all that we have this Christmas. We love you. We need you. We thank you for Jesus. In whose name we pray. 700 years before Jesus was born in the book of Isaiah. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it, with justice and with righteousness, from this time forth, and forevermore. Joy to the world and all God's people said. Amen.